Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning, everybody. Hey, what is it that makes us always want to say, I'm good, even when we're not? Uh, I'm good caused a lot of scars in my home growing up. It launched me into a marriage with a lot of, um, that caused a lot of pain in my marriage. It didn't help me a lot as an adult. And putting this message together, I was thinking about my family. I'm so grateful for my family of origin, but I'm good was literally the spoken value in our home, regardless of whether we were or not. And I was trying to think of what story do I access to share with you about this. They are many. But uh, come back with me my sophomore year in high school. I grew up in Marin County, and uh, I went to Marin Catholic High School and took a bus after school and practice to Novato and then would call my mom and say, come pick me up at the bus stop. And my mom would come and get me. And I remember one fall day, I called her my sophomore year, and I said, um, hi, Mom, it's Gary. I'm ready to be picked up. And she was breathing really heavy. I said, you okay, mom? And she said, I'm good. She wasn't good. She had, I learned later, she was making dinner. I had a Sicilian mom that's amazing. And she, uh, there's pesticide on the celery that she had a reaction to. She didn't wash it and ate it before she washed it. And her lungs were, uh, not her lungs, her esophagus was closing up on her. She couldn't breathe. Uh, so I said, well, okay, okay, come get me. And then she hung up and called our neighbor, Joan, across the street and said, I, I'm not, I need help. And they called an ambulance and took her right to the hospital. And I waited for an hour at the bus stop. And then my neighbor came and get me. And I said, where's my mom? It was, Val- it was Joan's daughter, Valerie. I said, where's my mom? She said, well, she's in the hospital. It's not good. And she flatlined in the hospital. And uh, I sat for a couple hours in my home alone wondering, where's my mom? What's going on? Not knowing this whole thing was going on. And she spent a week, or not a week, a couple days in the hospital. It's even worse when it gets into the church. Um, You know, Brian talks about the aisle eight grocery store conversation. You make 11 o'clock your service, you really care about shepherding others around you, and you notice someone isn't showing up on a regular basis, and you run into them at aisle eight at Safeway. And it's awkward, but you have the guts because you care about them. And you say, hey, I, I, uh, I don't know how to say this, but I haven't seen you. Is everything okay? And they go, oh, I'm good. Doing good. Or you're part of, um, you know, you're part of a community at the network, our young adult community. And uh, someone comes up to you and says, hey, uh, someone's roommate confided in me. They're actually, their anger is continuing to grow more and more and more. And I don't even know what to do with that, but you're their good friend. Can you talk to them? And so you risk it because their spiritual life, their walk with Christ is personal, but it's not private. It's the New Testament standard. And so you say, hey, uh, this is awkward, but um, so-and-so gave me permission to share uh, that your anger at home just seems to be escalating. Is something going on? You okay? And what do they say to you? I'm good. And quit judging me. 
When's the last time you were over yourself, or over your head in some character issue, and you called another sister or brother in Christ and said, I, I need help. I'm not good. This relationship that matters so much to me, it's not doing good. Or this aspect of my character is not doing good. And I know I'm supposed to be more than this. And Jesus isn't enough. I need, I need someone to step into this and help me. When was the last time one of us did that? See, today Jesus writes to a church that had a bad case of, I'm good. Raise your hands. How many of you think, I need to hear this message today? Right? And the rest of you, I guess you're good. <laughs> gotcha. As your pastor, let me just say, this is a message we all need to hear, especially me. One of the cultural values of this area, especially it's so affluent on the peninsula, is to put your best I'm good self forward. Personally, recreationally, professionally, we're going to step into Christmas season, and I don't know what's happening with Christmas cards these days, but, you know, what are those letters in the cards? It is the I'm good statement of the year, and my kids are good, and my dog is good, and our hamster is good. I mean, it is just a huge I'm good, right? Well, God has an opinion on the subject. Did you know that? God looks at all of us, and you know what he says? I love you, and you're not good. Uh, this is free of charge, everybody. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. Romans 3.12. Write it down. Romans 3.12. Don't shoot the messenger. But here's God's assessment of every human being on the planet, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Because this letter in Romans, Paul wrote it to Christians, and it's Jesus speaking through Paul, and he says, all have turned away, all have become useless, and here it comes. No one does good, not a single one. So in heaven's eyes... We're not good. Maybe we're not as good as we think. And that leads perfectly into this church of Laodicea. What does God do with people that follow him who aren't good, who've given up the pursuit, who are okay with lukewarm, as one pastor said, who are lukewarm and loving it? What does God do with that? If you're not a follower of Christ, you picked a great Sunday to come because you're going to see what it is about Jesus that those of us who are followers of Christ cling to, depend on, hoped on every day of our lives, his grace and compassion. If you are a follower of Christ, what Ian sung over us, may the word of God speak. My aim is that we would open every door of our life and give Jesus full access in our life. Let's start. Roman, Revelation chapter 3. Here we go. To the angel, this will be on the screen. It's in your notes. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write. Now, like we've done every week, let's look at what Laodicea was in the first century because there's some cultural things. We've been saying it this way. Jesus speaks the dialect of the city. There's some cultural things. You're going to find this amazing. This is mind-blowing. Jesus is brilliant in how he writes to this church. Let me tell you about Laodicea. How did they get so afraid? Fluent. They were the Palo Alto, the peninsula of the day. Well, they were fluent. Oh, by the way, this was Laodicea. You can see where it's located, the last of the seven churches. But up until 2002, this was Laodicea, a huge mound. And it's got an amazing story that I can't even get into. I don't have the time. But there was, uh, there was someone that wanted to excavate that mound. And he kept coming back to the Turkish government for decades saying, let me in. Let me excavate. And they just stiff arm. No, 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 no. Finally, in 2002, they let him. 
and his team. And what he uncovered was an amazing city. This is a city that is being excavated in real time. It keeps getting discovered and growing, growing. Amazing affluence. They saw things like that, and then they started piecing the city together again. It rivals almost any biblical dig out there what's going on in Laodicea. And what they uncovered was this amazing city. This is a drone picture of Laodicea. It's part of what played into their affluence. They were at the junction of a major roads and major trade routes. And so people would stop in Laodicea and just spend money. And what they bought was amazing. Laodicea had a booming textile industry. They specialized in black wool. Here's a Laodicea sheep. You're welcome. That's what you get here at PCC, Laodicean sheep. Um, Rome paid top dollar for the black wool. Everyone else got white, but Laodicea produced black wool and it had a sheen to it, so it was waterproof too. And they, taught, they charged big money for these black wool garments. And then they were a banking center. They even minted their own money. The first one to create banks in the Middle East, if you have a trivia, Laodicea, the first bank in the Middle East. So they would say to these people on the trade routes, hey, give us your coins, we'll give you a note, and when you come back from the east or the west or wherever you went, give us the note, we'll give you back your coins. Oh, and we'll charge interest for that too. They even minted their own coins, we'll get to that in a minute. Last thing about Laodicea, they had a medical school in Laodicea that was famous for their zinc eye salve. And it was known around the region uh, for this. All of this created a, a bubble economy. Does this sound familiar to any region? Uh, a bubble economy where they were kind of immune to what was going on in the bigger region. We talked about this last week. An earthquake came and leveled the area. And Sardis and Philadelphia, all those other cities, they, uh, Rome came to them and said, let us subsidize your rebuilding. They said, thank you. When they came to Laodicea, you know what Laodicea said? We're good. We don't need your money. We'll rebuild it ourselves. And as they've uncovered all of this, what they're finding are inscriptions. What, here's what they uncovered. A Colosseum 300 yards in length. Not one, but two theaters. They've uncovered not one, not two, but five market agoras, they're called, marketplaces. And each one has an inscription to the Laodicean patron who paid for it to be built. Laodicea literally created their own economy and didn't need any outside help whatsoever from the Roman government. They minted their own coins. And the motto on the coin when they minted their coins was this, Laodicea, the sacred and the autonomous. And then as they unearthed coins later on, they dropped the sacred. This literally is on coins later minted in Laodicea. We're just autonomous. Forget the sacred. Who needs sacred? What is holiness? Even the first century, holiness wasn't pursued. We value autonomy. And is that not the cultural value in our area? I'm not saying that's good or bad, right, uh, outside the church. I'm saying in the church it's bad. And Jesus comes to this place, and their problem uh, was they just valued autonomy. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus mimics them and says, you say, doesn't mimic them, he reflects what they're saying. They, the, the church would drive their electric camel to the marketplace, and they'd get off and talk at the places, and they'd say, I'm so rich, I've acquired so much wealth, I don't need a thing. And Jesus says, that's not just said in your city, that's unfortunately said in your church. The Odyssey's problem, and this isn't in your notes, but put it on page one, spiritual 
self-sufficiency. Spiritual self-sufficiency. They didn't need God. No, no, don't get me wrong. They needed God for salvation. Like, yeah, okay, God, I get it. Like, we're all going to die. Of course I want you to forgive my sins and get me to heaven. Of course. But every day, I'm kind of good. Jesus, you told us to pray, give us today our daily bread. I don't need that. I got a job. And I passed tons of fast food stores on my way to, we have in and out. Why would I pray that? I'm good. And Jesus, I don't need you to help in my work. I've got that down. I've got an MBA from wherever. And God, I don't need to trust you every day. Have you seen my bank account? I'm pretty good there. See, this was the problem of Laodicea. It wasn't the big part of salvation. They had that done. They were really trusting Jesus for salvation. Everyone, please. They just weren't trusting him day in and day out. Just kind of stiff-arming him, saying, I'm good. Theirs was a relationship of convenience. They were all into God when it worked for them. But don't ask me to sacrifice. Don't ask me to go the extra mile. Don't ask me to love someone that I can't love in my own strength. Because my walk with you, it's all about what I can do in my strength. So Jesus comes to them and says, I don't think you're as good as you think. This is the only letter where Jesus said nothing positive to the church. Every other of the seven churches, Jesus says, at least you got this going for you, not this one. Now, I want you to take out your phones. I know some of you are on it right now. Quit texting and take out your phones. I want you to take a picture of this next screen. How can you tell when you're drifting into spiritual self-sufficiency? Because I want you to go home and talk about this and mull this. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to let the Holy Spirit talk to you. But here's some indicators if you're living the I'm good spiritual life with Jesus. How can you tell? Let me just walk through this. I got no emails from anyone in the room asking me to talk about this because your roommate or your spouse is going to be here. Okay? And so just sit in this. Okay? Your passion to know Christ, to really know Christ is gone. When it comes down to it, you're like, I've been walking with God for 20 years. I'm good. I know Jesus. Don't ask me to get in the word. And, and I'm just going to stay away from the hard parts of the Bible that don't, you know, I have to dig in a little deeper or ask for help on. I just want the easy Jesus. I know you enough. And don't ask me to prayer. Jeej, quit telling me to spend 1% of my day, 14 minutes in prayer. You know how hard I work? You want me to get up 14 minutes earlier? Are you kidding me? I'm good. Your passion of Jesus has waned. Secondly, your passion to follow Jesus has waned. There's a difference. Jesus is actually heading somewhere. You know that, right? And he wants you to follow him. If you ever wonder where Jesus is always going, the least, the last, the lonely, what do I have? Least, last, lonely, and the lost. The least, the last, the lonely, the lost. And our walk or your walk with Jesus is like, hey, this is good. I love you on Sunday for an hour. Yeah, go sing that song. I love the artificial temperature. What? You want me to go to street life? Uh, That's a little uncomfortable, Jesus. I don't want to follow you there. You're good in the church building, but don't take, wait, wait, you want me to go to work? You want to go to work with me? Uh, No, 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 no. Jesus, don't you know business is business? Wait, Jesus, what? You want me to spend part of my vacation time serving you in a developing part of the world? (laughs) Who in the world would do that? See, you follow Jesus to a point. Then your passion to engage Christ's community is gone. It's all about convenience. 
Oh yeah, when I'm here on a Sunday, that's great. But gosh, God forbid you would ask me to join a small group or a worship night. Wait a second, Brian, what are you talking about Friday night? I give God an hour on Sunday. Why would I come on a Friday night? And why would I get in a small group where someone can actually ask me a question about my life and I could be known? So you don't really engage community. You just come here, kind of check the box. And I'm not, I have no one in mind. I am just telling you these are indicators of spiritual self-sufficiency. It's all about you. Your passion to invest in Christ's church is gone. You hear Brian talk about five Christmas services, Eve. I mean, we're going for it. No, I don't know. We have 300 people a month moving into this city. I'm going, why? And Brian and the other staff is going, why would Jesus bring that many people to the city if he didn't want them to know Christ? So let's go for it. Let's open the door five times. And, and it's only going to happen if someone serves at one of those and attends another that's a regular. But you hear that and you go, I can't invest my time. And I, wait a second, wait a second. Offering? You just did God's heart for the world. We have Kennedy Christmas. We have year end because the church uh, is lagging a little bit in our budget. And now there's a fire, the greatest fire that's hit the state of California. And you're asking me to give again? Come on. I give at the end of the month when it's convenient. See, all that is an indicator that there might be a degree in you of some spiritual self-sufficiency. That maybe in your relationship with Jesus, you're saying, I'm, I'm good. And what if Jesus has a different opinion? Now, here's the question, okay? Are you with me? All right. Okay. Three people are with me. Are you with me? Okay. You have an opinion. I have an opinion. Jesus has an opinion. Whose opinion are you going to trust? That is the tension that you will wrestle with your whole Christian life. I just showed you God's opinion. And I thank God I get to serve with the church where so many people say, I'm not good. I am messed up. And I don't mean that in the cool hip, it's good to be messed up way. I am so spiritually, relationally, financially broken, but I have Jesus who's bringing me on a journey to repair me. It's okay not to be good here and to love Jesus. Problem with this church is they weren't good and they were delusional. They were prideful. And the whole thing, their worship services, they were so self-consumed, Jesus wasn't even in the service. And he's knocking, going, excuse me, last time I checked, I asked you to gather because it was about me. You've made it so about you, you don't even know I'm not in the building. Who are you worshiping? Oh, I know, you're worshiping you. It's about you. So, take 30 seconds and reflect. Do any of those apply to you?
How does Jesus respond? I, I want to encourage you. I've read this passage uh, in its original language and studied it. I've read it in five different English versions. There is not an ounce of anger in this letter to this church. That's not Jesus. He's not, there's no disgust. It is, especially in the original language, it is just dripping in compassion in love. And I want you to see that. So turn to page two and let's look at this. How do we cure spiritual self-sufficiency? Let's look at the symptoms, okay? I don't even care how you got there if you identify with those. I want to talk about how do we get cured and how are we in that process. Verse 14, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to vomit you, that's the force of the word, vomit you out of my mouth. What's going on here? Uh, this is really important, okay, because this has been mistaught so much. For all of its incredible wealth, you know what Laodicea lacked? A water source. They had no natural source of water. Now from Laodicea, about three miles away was a water source. It was called Hierapolis. You can still go there. They had 95 degree hot springs, natural hot springs. There's, there's a modern day Hierapolis. Can you go just forward a couple of pictures? Man, who wouldn't want, that's like God's jacuzzi right there, okay? Um, here's what it looked like. I have a picture I found from Laodicea. That's what they saw, those calcified cliffs and the hot springs of Hierapolis. Turned the other way, and there was these snow-capped mountains, and at the foot of them was a city called Colossae. Anyone ever heard of Colossians? Anybody? Colossae, that was a city. And they had this natural, cold, beautiful snow runoff water, and then in the middle of that was Laodicea, elevated on a plane, high and lofty above everyone else with no water source. So you know what they did? They were so good, they created a plumbing system. They engineered this. They dug it up. There's some of it. A plumbing system to take the cold water and the hot water from Colossae and Hierapolis and pump it in, pipe it in. Go to the next one. By the time it hit Colossae, you can see the white on that picture. That's calcification. Uh, the, the minerals would come from Hierapolis, and it was putrid to the taste. It made them sick. And it wasn't hot anymore. It was just lukewarm by this point. And Jesus zeroes in on this and uses it as a spiritual analogy. He says, your spirituality is like, well, it's like lukewarm water. It's literally good for nothing. In other words, for Laodicea, I put it in your nose because I really want you to reflect on this. They were so passionless, they were powerless. They just reflected their culture. They were room temperature. And they were no good for anything. They were useless in the kingdom of God. Uh, my coffee uh, journey... I grew up not drinking coffee for 35 years, never drank coffee, made it through seminary, never drank coffee. And then my wife said to me, hey, Starbucks has this drink. It was my gateway drug, everybody. She says, uh, it's called a Frappuccino. You should try it. Oh my gosh, the heavens parted. And I thought, coffee never felt so good. And I, I downed these things all the time until they put the calorie count on these. Friends, that's a liquid donut right there, okay? And so I'm like, I can't do that anymore. And eventually I merged to the cappuccino, my drink of choice now, okay? I love the frappuccino, nice and cool on a hot day. I love the cappuccino on any day. It's just awesome. You know what Starbucks doesn't create? They don't have what's called a tepid chino. 
right? Uh, just, just lukewarm. The foam is such where bacteria is growing in it. So good for you. Why don't they do that? No one would drink it. God is saying to you and to me, it's not that he wants, if you heard it said this way, I want you on fire for me, or I'd rather you not even be a Christian. That is not what this text says. What he's saying is, just like the water from Hierapolis that was useful hot, and Colossae that was useful cold, your water's lukewarm, it's pretty much useless. That's your functional role on this earth. You're useless. I didn't create Christians to blend in. You're supposed to stand out. So that was, the, that was what he saw in there, the symptoms. But the symptoms aren't the disease. They just show the disease. Let's go a little deeper and let's look into the disease. But before we do, I've got this question for you. What stands out in your life? From the culture, how are you different? How are you different in your greed, in your gluttony? How are you different in your financial management, in the debt load, the credit debt load? How are you different in the way you manage your time, your work ethic, the way we love, our motives? How are we different in our media consumption, in our giving, in our sexual values? Could it be that we too are just following the norms of an affluent culture and blending in, and we're lukewarm, and again, to quote that pastor, and we're loving it? We're okay, we're good. God loves us too much. So let's dig a little bit deeper and look at the disease. Look what it says in verse 17. Jesus says, you say, now he's gonna quote them, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth. And they don't have it in the English language, but there's another I before the do. So that's, the, that's their disease. I, I, I. I don't need a thing, but you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Now remember, especially in this line. His words are straight up, but they're not angry. There's no anger. In the original language, you can, you can put the tone by the words you use. The tone is clearly, in every one of those five words, compassionate. But he's still straight up. My brother's a doctor, and he's a family practice doctor. And um, a number of years ago, we, we gather as a family at Thanksgiving, and we share, what are you thankful for? We'll do this Tuesday night in Folsom. Um, and he said about four or five years ago, I'm thankful I saved 10 lives this year. I'm like, wow, that's something to be thankful for. How, how'd you do that? And he says, I'm just going to get really real right now. He said, the prostate exam. I, I don't know why I lifted my hand, so I did that. But the, the, the prostate exam. The prostate exam. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, he goes, in 10, 10 people this year, I found polyps that were either precancerous or just full-blown cancers. And we got it early, and we got them on the road to recovery, and they're alive today. And he's like, have you been checked? And I'm like, oh, man, this is Thanksgiving, dude. Don't ask me. <laughs> Now's not the time. I, but I did say this. I'm like, how do you tell somebody they have cancer? And I want to be very sensitive here because I know that's in this room. And Mike said, you know, as a doctor, I've learned, I enter their room. They're usually sitting down. They're scared. He said, I get at their level so I can see eye to eye to them. And with all the compassion and lowered tone and lowered voice and lowered uh, volume, I say, um, what we found was not good. But we found it early, and I think we can take care of this if you're willing to trust me as your doctor. We can take care of this. 
I have forgotten that for four years. That was four years ago until I was studying this week and trying to ask, I was asking God, how do I, how do I reflect the tone that you bring this language to? I think it's that tone, the compassionate, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. This isn't Jesus high and lifted up going, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, just, you disgust me. This is Jesus coming to this church when they walked away from him and made it all about them and saying, oh, I have a really bad diagnosis for you. And if this isn't cured, it's not going to end well. Do you sense that from Jesus? This is how he's coming to you. That's the Jesus we serve. And so he gives them for their spiritual pride. They were so self-consumed, they'd grown blind to their own spiritual condition that was in danger. And what does he do to this church? He runs to it as a good, loving, heavenly father would run to a child who was in danger and gives them a prescription, page three. He says, I counsel you, and now he's gonna use terms in their affluence they could understand. He said, buy from me, buy from me some things. And it's a metaphor saying, let me give this to you. You're all about buying things from the culture. Why don't you turn to me and let me equip you? What do you want me to equip in? Here's the first. Invest in purpose. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. You're so about buying stuff for you. How about if you invest in eternal purposes? Give to things that will outlast you. How many of you ran the Global 6K last spring or walked the Global 6K, right? That was a race we all engaged in, many of us did, uh, about a couple hundred of us down. And 6K is the average length that uh, people in the developing world have to walk to for clean water. And so we joined other covenant churches in doing a 6K and raising money. I was on a call last week and they said there's a hospital in Karawa which is in the Congo, which is what we were raising money for, clean water. This hospital serves 150,000 people. They have never had running water. I was on a call with pastors all over the country last week, and we got the report. There is now running water in the Karawa Hospital uh, for the first time in history. Isn't that amazing? Yes, we can talk for that. And I mean, on the call, pastors all over the country were going, yes, woohoo! I mean, the, the, the emotional state of the call rose, and we didn't even sacrifice for that. We just ran and walked to 6K. But there's a region in Jesus' name now that gets healing with running water. That's what happens when you invest in eternity. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So many times when my heart's grown cold, uh, Anne and I sit down, we redirect our finances towards eternal things. And then invest in holiness. Jesus says, buy for me white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Remember the black wool they were famous for? Jesus is saying, hey, white is the new black. Let me give you white uh, purity, holiness. Now, honestly, I want to ask you this question. When's the last time you really strove towards holiness? the character of Jesus. And you pulled a community in and said, I don't want this to, I do not want this part of my life. I need your help. You saw a pastor or a Stevens minister or whatever, your community. Invest in wisdom, put salve on your eyes so you can really see. I'll give you heaven's perspective. It's in my word. Spend time in it. It's in community. Spend time there. Now look, I'm going over. I'm gonna go four more minutes, so hang with me, okay? 
because we've got to get to the cure. The cure is the open door. There's a prescription, and this is really important. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. So be zealous. It's a more appropriate word there. Be zealous and repent. Now, when's the last time, honestly, your, mark, your walk with God was marked by zeal? And don't tell me you're not zealous. If I spend a half hour with you, I'll find out what you're zealous about. We're all zealous about something. We're all fanatical about something. Jesus says, why not be zealous about me and the things I really care about? And then he says to this church, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me which in the Mediterranean world, still to this day, meant, let's be friends. It's amazing to me. Like, the God of the universe, this church had turned away and made it all about them. Jesus is outside their lives and outside their functional world, and he doesn't kick down the door. He just says, I'll wait. And if you open the door, I won't wag my finger. We'll have a meal. Because I'm that amazing and loving. And we'll talk about the mess you've made of your life. And I'll start to repair the mess. Because I died for that mess. I died because you're not good. So let me in. This is unbelievable to me. This church is so self-focused that they have kept Jesus out of the building. And instead of pushing down the building or crumbling the church, he just stands and knocks. And I wonder, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, what door you've closed to him in your life. This isn't about receiving Christ again because our salvation isn't based on what we did in the first place. It's based on what Jesus did. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is about, as Jesus is in our life, him wanting access to the crevices and parts of our life that we tend to close doors to and say to Jesus, Oh, wait, wait a second. I want to go to heaven. Don't get me wrong. I just don't want you part of that part of my life. So Jesus, I'm closing the door to my bedroom. Because my sexuality is my sexuality. And what I do with my body has nothing to do with you. Oh, oh and Jesus, by the way, I'm closing the door to the family room too. It's my family, and yeah, I lose my temper, and yeah, I get a little raging. What do you have to do with that? Now, I just, you just stay on Sunday for an hour. Stay out of my family room. Wait a second, don't go there. That's the kitchen. Stop. What I do with my appetites, that's my world. What I want to consume, I'm going to consume. So Jesus, let me just get this clear. Heaven, I'm all in. Stay out of my appetites. Oh, wait a second, Jesus, that's my media room. Whoa, stop. I don't want you having access to my Netflix account. I don't think you'd like what I watch. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to work now. Wait, wait, what are you doing? Get out of the car. What, you want to go to work with me? Business is business, Jesus. Go back in the house. I'll see you on Sunday morning. Because my work life is my life. 
And the whole time Jesus is going, I'd love to have access to all of you. Honestly, and I, got, I really got to wrap this up. Jesus is saying, what more do I have to do to earn your trust? I left heaven for you. I was the object of worship in the universe. And I came to my creation who just beat me to a pulp and sent me to a cross so disfigured that people turned their faces from me. And I created them. And then I took on myself, your sin, and went before God and got the wrath that you deserved. And you won't let me in your media room? I'm not disgusted, but I'm just saying it makes me want to puke. I don't get it. But I'm just going to sit here and knock. And if you want to open the door, I could make something of that you never, never dreamt of. Something beauty from those ashes. So what doors are closed, church? Where does Jesus not have access Father, we need you. Jesus, we love you. We prayed and asked that the word of God would speak. It has. The question is, I think it's the last question you ask to all these seven churches. Do we have ears to hear? And will we be doers and not just hearers? Jesus, this door has been closed to you. What is it for you? I've kept this door closed. I'm actually afraid to open it. You gotta help me. But if you are who you say you are, come clean up this room. I've made a mess of it. There's shrapnel everywhere, but I wanna do it your way. I wanna be zealous. I wanna repent. Come on in. What is that room for you? Maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus and today you would just say, wow, who else is going to love me like that? If this is true and Jesus died for my sins and can make something of this life that I live, Jesus, I'm opening up, come in, step in, forgive me, make me the woman or man you want me to be. God, I can't through my words create a zeal, but you can through your spirit. And I pray that that would happen, not on Sunday, not in the closing song alone, but on Monday to Saturday, you'd find zealous followers of you, 24-7, surrendered to your Holy Spirit, trusting you. Do it, Lord, in this church. We don't want you outside. We want you right in the center, the object of our life worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said? Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.